0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, sitting alongside my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkiewicz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, we are another day closer to Packers Broncos Week 3, Sunday noon Central Time kickoff at Lambeau Field. And just to give a heads up here, because this show is truly unscripted, (laughs) We're going to combine our Thursday and Friday shows into one show because uh, our wonderful producer Marvin, he needs to leave and be out of the office on Friday. So today's show will go a little bit long. We'll try to kind of pack uh, the last two shows of the week into one. And I want to start with a story that, uh, that you've posted on our website examining the first two weeks of the season for the Packers veteran right tackle Brian Balaga. Because we watched throughout OTAs, throughout training camp. You know, Blog had a day off here and a day off there, and sometimes even a couple days off in yeah. a row. This was all part of the plan, wasn't it? Because he got to week one healthy and ready to go. He had He's had two absolute knockdown drag-out assignments. He's got another one here in week three against the Broncos as far as his one-on-one matchup. But he is playing some outstanding football for the Packers. He really
1: is, Mike. And it was interesting when I presented this to Corey Lindsley in the locker room on Wednesday. Lindsley basically said, I mean, yeah, this is what Brian Belaga does. It's what he's done for the last 10 years in this offense. A couple different layers to this. The first thing, they did have a plan for him. And... Adam Stenovich actually said it sort of began with his time with Joe Staley in San Francisco. Staley is one of the most durable, reliable, and successful left tackles in the game. Yeah. And the San Francisco 49ers for the past few years have been very smart about how they used him in practice. The Packers took the same approach with Brian Belaga now, who's 30 years old, you know, in his 10th NFL season. He's seen it. He's done it. He's lived it in the NFL. They felt there was a need to be able to push him the way they need that he's previously been pushed in practice. He can get his work, get his reps, be smart, and be healthy for the start of the season. The other thing that's impressive about that is it still puts him well ahead of where he was a year ago. Yes. When he came back from the torn ECL in 10 months, he did not actually practice in a live capacity until the last week of training camp. He didn't play in a preseason game until the finale against Kansas City. And then, oh, by the way, go block Khalil Mack in the opener. (laughs) Seeing the difference in Balaga this year – it's just incredible where he's at, being able to have a full offseason with those reps. He even put it out there. He said he took more snaps that first week and a half of this year's training camp than he did all of last offseason.
0: With those practices with the Texans mixed Absolutely. in, J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, and getting live reps against opponents like that. And
1: Whitney, Whitney Merciless, mind you, I think was the reigning AFC Defensive Player of the Week. I mean, just the stretch that he's had, the competition that he's faced here early on, the fact that he's doing what he's doing, a big feather in his cap, but to those who know him best, it's nothing out of the unusual.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember talking a lot last year just about how impressive it was that from when his ACL injury occurred in 2017, being late in the season, that then he was actually ready for the opener in 2018. It was a tremendous achievement, quite frankly. But as you say, now you look at it this year, and there's just no substitute for the practice time for the rest that he got and and also obviously just being another year removed right. from yeah. an injury like that, all of that has has added up to Brian Balaga really starting the season uh, off on a tremendous foot because after the Bears game, we weren't talking that much about Khalil Mack. No. And after the Vikings game, <coughs> yes, Daniil Hunter had a sack, but that actually didn't come against Balaga as far as a, a one-on-one matchup there. And both of those guys have been all pro either first team or second team over the last couple of years. And now he's got, uh, I'm trying to remember now, is he going to be matched with Miller? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be matched with Von Miller on Sunday. And from what we understand with the Broncos, they don't move their guys around quite so much. It's probably going to be, 75 snaps or whatever the number is, Brian Balaga against Von Miller, okay, here we go. And uh, it's it's going to be a great matchup to watch on Sunday because these are these are two season pros who have done it, and uh, and both of them, quite frankly, are still very much on the top of their game.
1: And it was interesting when I was talking to Lindsley a little bit about this, and it's comments that Brian, or I should say David Bakhtiari have echoed in the past about Balaga as well. So much of his story and the way it's been formatted has been around the injuries and the ACL tears and you know and that sort of thing. You could actually see and sense because I didn't even ask Lindsley about that, but you can see how much that bothers some of the people that are, you know, friends, yeah. colleagues, teammates with Balaga because as Lindsay said, I mean, you got to understand what this guy is doing behind closed doors, what he is doing to put himself in the position that to make him the player that he's become today, you're not going to find a harder-working athlete in the Packers locker room and really, you know, at his position for the way that he approaches this thing. At the end of the day, and I wrote this, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I wrote it in inbox, but I think history will be kind to Brian Balaga's career. I don't think people fully appreciate what they've had with him over the last 10 years. Now, there's been some changes. You know, the AP now recognizes the right tackle position when it makes their AP teams. Pro Bowl's still the same, you know, it's mostly all left tackles. Right. But, you know, I think when you look at guys like Lane Johnson, when you look at guys like Brian Balaga, it's showing you what how NFL offenses have adapted in the caliber of players that are manning that right tackle position now because of the Vaughn Millers. Yeah. Because of the Khalil Max. This is gonna be another big battle. Belaga said he doesn't care whether or not he gets the accolades, even though if some other people in his offensive line room feels like he should get them. Sure. His task is to go out there and pitch another shutout, and that's where his sole focus is on. And whatever happens after that, he'll let the chips fall where they may.
0: Well, I think we're seeing, uh, and guys like Belaga and David Bakhtiari <laughs> have talked about this, that the evolution of defenses in the NFL, it's not just about getting... Your one Reggie White right. as your premier Absolutely. pass rusher. And then this is, I mean, these teams are loading up with pass rushers. And yes, the guy for a right handed quarterback, the left tackle is the one protecting the blind side, which is a little bit tougher job, so to speak. And I don't know if tougher is the right word, but it's, be, you know, because the quarterback doesn't have the eyes in the back. There's of his higher head. stakes. Yeah. And, but that's not to say that the guys who are rushing on the other side against the right tackle are any are any less caliber these days right. than maybe yeah. they were twenty five or thirty years ago. So um, the matchup the the matchups on the edges, it's it's been they've been the matchups to watch through the first two games when you're talking Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd and Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter, and now it's Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and Now, I don't know if the Packers are going to necessarily have a a three-game gauntlet of pass rushers in a row quite like this later in the season, just the way this season has started, but it does seem that more often than not, you're not just talking about one edge rusher from right. another team. You're talking about both of them, and that's how the Packers have built their defense now as well. It's funny you mention that too, because while they're not going to get a stretch of three like
1: this again, they do have another stretch of Chicago and Minnesota in December. That's that right, back yes, handle. back
0: back to back in, but in, in December. in
1: regards to having Vaughn Miller on the end of that, that's a <laughs> yeah. different type of problem. But it is coincidental how that schedule works out, that you get Chicago and Minnesota in September, and then Chicago and Minnesota in December. Be that as it may, uh, and you talked about it when you, when you mentioned the the right tackle position. Just ask Aaron Rodgers how important it is, too. I mean, for him in this offense, and even in Mike McCarthy's scheme, the the offensive lineman. This is a tough task for them, and enabling him yeah. to have the time in which he wants to work, uh, and giving him a clean pocket to, you know, be able to execute the plays under. Balaga has seen it for the last ten years, and we talk, you know, so fervishly, uh, you know, about, you know. Chad Clifton and, and Mark Tauscher and a lot of these great offensive linemen that the Packers have had over the years, I really do believe when it's all said and done, you got to put Brian Balog in that conversation too because this is a when you use a first round draft pick on the tackle position, you want a decade from that player. You want to be able to plug that guy in and not worry about it yeah. again. And you know, with a few little bumps in the road. Uh, Mostly on the injury side of things, Balaga has given that to Green Bay.
0: Well, and I still remember Balaga being, I still believe he's the youngest (laughs) player ever to start in a Super Bowl. He was barely over 21 21 years. years old as a rookie. And he got matched up with James Harrison on right. a fair number of snaps uh, as a rookie in the Super Bowl, and yet uh, nobody was talking about James Harrison after that Super Bowl. So, I mean, he the, the guy's been doing it. And yes, there have been some bumps in the road with the injuries and whatnot, but regardless of the... The accolades and some of that is just circumstance, as you mentioned with how the voting and things like that go. This guy's been doing it since he came into the league. And
1: very quietly, Mike, I mean, the guy started 97 of 101 regular season games at the Green Bay Packers. I mean, that is a heck of a career. And as he said, I mean, he has no plans on stopping. He, he sees himself with a bright future here in Green Bay and a lot of more football games to play this season to continue to live up to that type of playing potential.
0: Yeah, well, as the Packers get ready for the Broncos here on Sunday – been a little bit of an adjustment to the practice schedule, and the Packers are not alone here. The fact is, Matt LaFleur and his staff, they're looking ahead to the fact that there's a short week next week with the Philadelphia Eagles coming in on Thursday night, and we saw on Wednesday both the Packers and the Eagles essentially canceled or adjusted their normal Wednesday practice to go to a walkthrough. To save a little bit on the players' bodies and whatnot, in that uh, sort of with that lens, looking ahead to knowing that that next week is a short week, trying to plan ahead from a physical recovery standpoint. Now, it's, well, it's an interesting approach because <laughs> not not all teams have done this with Thursday night games over yeah, the years. I think it's a great
1: approach. I thought it was very interesting that both Green Bay and Philadelphia both took the same tact without you know, presumably conversating about it <laughs> because here's the thing, Mike, I mean, you go into this next week, once that game gets played on Sunday afternoon, you're already into the region mode. You're already having to get ready for practice on Tuesday and a little bit on Wednesday. And then, Hey, by the way, Thursday night, you're playing football. Again. Yeah. So it you, comes,
0: it comes fast. Next week is going to be a short, fast week.
1: If you look at an eight day schedule, yeah, your biggest shot to be able to take a little bit off of players is going to be that Wednesday. We're shooting this before practice on Thursday. Conceivably, players will be in pads. They won't be in pads next week. So, I mean, just kind of figuring out those pieces. Yeah. I, I think it really shows, you know, Matt LaFleur, what they've thought about this, how they wanted to approach this thing and making sure that, okay, if you have some bumps and bruises coming out of that Minnesota game, you give the guys an extra 24 hours. You do the mental stuff. They called it a mental day out on
0: They're still presenting the game plan, going through the basics of the game plan for the opponent. They're just not doing it at full speed on the practice field.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, it is the biggest challenge in the National Football League is having to go from Sunday to Thursday in being able to make sure that you're right for that game. I remember how many times guys in the past have talked about it really isn't until Thursday, till Wednesday, that you start to actually feel recovered from that from previous game. From the previous game, game so right, right. Anything yeah. that the, t- the team can do to kind of lessen that burden on guys is valuable. Fortunately, as Aaron Rodgers pointed out, the Packers have been very lucky that they've been able to do these swings mostly at home. So you're going to play against Denver. You're going to be able to – you don't have to travel. You sleep in your own bed. You're going to have that same – opportunity going into the game so there is that advantage because Mike the reality is by September 26th if you can get through these next seven days the Packers are in a real good position to be able to be you know three and one four and oh somewhere in that realm to kind of leapfrog yourself into that second quarter of the season
0: yeah exactly well speaking of which leapfrogging let's start our (laughs) Friday show right now how about that okay so Keys to victory. That's how we always end the week. It's Packers Broncos, an uncommon opponent. The Broncos have not played at Lambeau Field since 2011, if I have that correct. That's right. Yeah, 2011 was the last time the Broncos were here in the regular season. So, what stands out to you as the key? whether you want to talk offensive or defensive side of the ball, what do the Packers need to do to win this game?
1: You and I discussed this week a lot of different scenarios, Mike, uh, with the Packers, and especially how Denver's playing right now. Joe Flacco's off to a slow start. Uh, We talked about, you know, Lindsay off to a slow start in his second season. Certainly Miller, Chubb, no sacks at this point. For the Green Bay Packers, there's going to be certain things that are going to go right for the Broncos in this game. The law of averages says that's going to happen. <laughs> yep. But you want to make sure you don't allow all those pieces to go off. You want to make sure that you can you 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 know, you carry on for another week here being able to either stop Flacco or Lindsay or those pass rushers and do what you have to do to win this football game because here's the the facts now, Mike. You've just won two games in the NFC North. You are out front in the division. You look at those NFL power rankings. Suddenly the Packers, who were sort of left for dead by some people going into the season, now sure. they're back in the driver's seat. Right. You're taking on a Denver Broncos team that's 0-2 at this point. They've had some bad luck go their way, but it's still an 0-2 football team. You have to take care of business. So I, I you're not going to be able to plug every hole. I understand that. The game, there's too many variables to it. But if they're able to make sure that they continue the slow start a little bit farther... For the Denver Broncos, I think the Packers are able to hold serve here against them.
0: I think, for me, the what I look at on the offensive side of the ball, it really my thoughts for this game stem from what happened in the Minnesota game, and it's a couple things that stick out to me because while Minnesota did make some adjustments defensively and started to clamp down and obviously slowed down the Packers after that fast start, right. There were two things that I there were two areas that I felt the Packers still should have been able to control better and not let Minnesota necessarily get the momentum and get back into the game and what I'm talking about is protecting the ball because I thought Allison's fumble and then the fumbled snap in the second half were the the fumbled shotgun snap those were both huge turnovers in the game right. that that really kind of gave Minnesota life and then the other thing was the short yardage stuff. Because Matt LaFleur had talked about, you know, hey, let's stay in third and manageable. Let's not be in these third and long situations. Well, sometimes you are going to get third and long situations. It happens. You're not going to play four quarters of football and not have a holding penalty or a sack or something that's going to put you in a bad spot. But the Packers had their share of short yardage opportunities against the Vikings, and they didn't convert them. And this Broncos defense is not off to a very good start early in the year as far as stopping the run. And the way the Packers ran the ball last week against Minnesota, I think Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are going to be able to churn out the yards that the Packers need on first and second down. But if the Packers get in third and one or third and two, they've got to convert those short yardage situations. They can't let those opportunities get away because you're going to run into some third and tens and third right. and twelves where the Bradley Chubbs and Von Millers of the world are going to affect the game at some point. And
1: this is where everything comes back together with the no takeaways, the no sacks for Denver's defense. They've been, you know, fairly stingy giving up yards, Yeah. but their third down percentage is not what they're looking for right now. I mean, they have Three of 25 opponents are, 13, excuse me, of 25 opponents are on third downs right now. And it's an even mesh. 15 of those first downs off the rush, 18 off the pass, four due to penalties. So I think that that's a huge opportunity for the Packers going into this game. Because when you look at Vic Fangio's defense, you think of pressure, you think of takeaways, and you think of stout third down play. Think of how many nightmares that he gave the Packers when he was in San Francisco in Chicago through those three things so no doubt no doubt I I just I really when you look at whether it is you have to win on first and second down that's what makes your life easier but even you know in some of those third and long situations looking to get some of the route concepts together and even if they know the pass is coming being able to still succeed and thrive that's when this offense is at its best when you do move the ball appropriately but in those situations where you got to confer to third and nine you do it yeah so I, I think you're right I think that that's one of the things that I really, you know, earmark going into this game is if the Packers can succeed it that way, they're going to have, you know, good things are going to happen.
0: Yeah, well, on the defensive side of the ball, again, my my thoughts for this game stem off of what happened in Minnesota, because Minnesota got all of its points off of the big plays. 75-yard touchdown run, 61-yard catch and run that led to a field goal, and then a 45-yard touchdown pass that, unfortunately, Jair Alexander lost in the sun, or he might have picked it off if not at least knocked it away but through two games and two games is not a huge sample size but through two games i think the evidence is there that if if this packers defense is making teams put together a methodical drive down the field that takes 8 or 9 sure. or 10 or 11 yeah. play if they're going to make them take that many snaps in order to score this defense has a really good chance to get the stop I mean that that's what we've that's what we've seen so far I actually looked I think all of the the scoring drives through the first two weeks for the opponent have been six plays or less right and it's because of a chunk play you know of a, of, of a big play particularly against the Vikings those big plays were what produced the points Against this Broncos offense, and as you said with Joe Flacco, he's not lighting the world on fire right now. He's obviously an accomplished quarterback, and the guys won a Super Bowl, and he does have a couple of really good weapons in the passing game. But I think if the the Packers don't allow the big play, then I like their chances of of getting stops or at least forcing field goals and, and not letting a team into the end zone too often here so that that is the
1: blueprint i mean that's what they have to do in this game because you also can't get down on yourself joe flacco's completing passes is almost 70 percent so far but one of the reasons why defense have been successful against the defense the offensive front of the broncos is because they're tackling the receiver they're not allowing big plays to happen yeah the few big plays that denver has had with you know you look at some of the things that emmanuel sanders has done have been off making guys miss and getting to the second level. Yeah, the and, yards after the and catch, running. Yeah, so that that's where I think the Packers got to stay stout. They got to stay fundamental, and then also you know, Zedarius and Preston Smith, they got to keep this pressure coming. I mean, they they know that that's what their job responsibility is. That's not breaking news, but you know, we talked about Garrett Bowles, some of the issues he's having right now. Five holding calls right off the bat. It's been a yeah. big topic in the Broncos locker room that they've had to discuss. Yep. You know, five sacks allowed so far on Flacco. You want to keep it, you know, keep that coming because if you get that pressure in Flacco's face, we know what the type of quarterback he is. He likes to be in the pocket. He likes to be comfortable. He likes to step into those big throws. That limits that. And it also creates more opportunities for your Jair Alexanders and Kevin King. So I still think, and and we're probably every single week we do this, Mike, we're going to be talking about the Smiths as long as they're on the field. But they really are a big catalyst to this defense accomplishing what it wants to accomplish.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Well, Looking ahead to the rest of week three in the NFL, I want to get your thoughts on a game here that I don't think is necessarily going to attract a lot of national attention, so to speak. But for Packers fans, I think it's one to keep an eye on. And I'm talking about Detroit yeah. going on the road this week to play Philadelphia. Obviously, Detroit being a division opponent, uh, they are the Lions are 1-0-1 after a home victory over the the Los Angeles Chargers last week that a lot of people including me didn't think they were going to win but the Lions here with an opportunity to stay undefeated I guess if you yeah. want to put it that way right. and the Philadelphia Eagles being the team that the Packers are going to play on the short week on Thursday night the Eagles are coming off of a tough road loss at Atlanta in prime time when they had a chance to win that game and get to 2 and 0 instead they are 1 and 1 they had a really impressive week 1 comeback against Washington one of their rivals from the NFC East but then when they had a chance to come back against the Falcons, a couple of miscues, a couple of plays got away from them, and uh, the Eagles are one and one with a uh, with a big home game here.
1: And the Eagles are a hurting unit right now, Mike. If you watch that game from a week ago, I mean, they they were banged up. They with their injury report, like the Packers, they estimated it because they did not actually practice. Corey Clement, uh, Dallas Goddard. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, Elshon Jeffrey, Tim Jugen. I mean, uh, there are so many guys that would not have practiced for them, in addition to the fact that, you know, you also had the quarterback, Carson Wentz, leaving temporarily. So, yeah. who's going to be healthy for this game on Sunday? And then, by proxy, who's going to be available on Thursday night? That's going to be a big thing for the Packers. If you're the Lions, who are still six and a half point dogs going into this game, I mean, this is going to be a big moment for them. I mean, I have to imagine that whatever feelings they had or whatever disappointment there was, you know, giving up that lead to the Cardinals, they got some of that back by taking the wind out of the Chargers' sails a little bit. No question about it. I'm just very interested to see which team is available for Philadelphia in that after all those injuries that they suffered and exactly how the Lions respond to it.
0: Yeah. Well, a couple of other games that uh, I think we'll have our eye on Sunday that involve the – Quarterback injury situations with regards to the Saints and Drew Brees being out and the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger out for the rest of the season. It sounds like Brees for the Saints will be out roughly six weeks or so, but <laughs> right. New Orleans going on the road to Seattle, where I mean, could the schedule have set up any nicer for the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah. They get, they, they get. Uh, Zach Taylor for the Bengals as a rookie head coach. He gets sent to CenturyLink Field for his first game. Okay, The Seahawks survive that one. They're 1-0. They go to Pittsburgh. Roethlisberger gets hurt, so they win that one. Now they're 2-0, coming back home for what looked like a huge game against the New Orleans Saints when you originally look at the schedule. And now Drew Brees is out. So the Seahawks have a huge opportunity to get to 3-0, while the Saints – Sean Payton is talking about using potentially two quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill. He's not announcing who the starter is going to be or anything about his his uh, specific plans. This is a really interesting one.
1: It is really interesting. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater will be the starter. I mean, it's just he's one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid backup quarterback in the league. They are incredibly high on him. I still imagine he's going to be the guy. But Taysom Hill is a great accessory piece to what they can do offensively as a receiver, as a tight end, as a, everything you can use them as, and at times a quarterback. So I bet you're going to see both of those guys, but for Bridgewater, this is such an important time, Mike, because this is a guy that had to get his career back on track. The, the saints bring him in. And now he actually has a chance to prove here in this next month and a half that he's still a starting quarterback in this league. And he can be a franchise quarterback for somebody, maybe even the saints someday. So uh, it's a great opportunity. The downside of it for him, while the Seattle defense isn't maybe as locked down as it used to be, you're still playing in Century Link, and you're still playing that is, against that, that, is that front. A, that is a
0: tough place to play, man. You got
1: Bobby Wagner, you know, Cam Chancellor. <laughs> all those guys are going to be gunning for you, but. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be a good one to watch as well.
0: Yeah. Well, with regards to the Pittsburgh Steelers, they've lost Ben Roethlisberger for the season. The re- other reason I bring them up this week is because they are on the road at San Francisco to face a 49ers team that is and 2-0 with yeah. an opportunity to go to 3-0. and And this is a 49ers team the Packers are going to visit later this season. Yeah. The 49ers are with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, the second year uh, with Kyle Shanahan as the head coach. This is a franchise that looks like maybe they're starting to put things together the way they want it to look.
1: We've talked a lot about Shanahan and LaFleur and McVeigh and all these guys, but I just, I have so much respect for Kyle Shanahan. I mean, you look at their roster, you look at that offensive roster. You know, certainly you have George Kittle who opened a lot of eyes last year, but there's not a lot of like household names. And yet he's still, with his scheme, with what they want to do effectively on offense they they hit all the notes to a T. And Garoppolo now that he's healthy again you know, there's going to be some take you know turnovers here and there he looks like he's going to be that type of quarterback that might end up with like 10 12 15 picks a year yeah but he can throw it man and he isn't afraid to so seeing how they match up now against the Pittsburgh team that while they did you know make this trade for minka Fitzpatrick for a first round pick <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of questions there with Mason Rudolph now as their quarterback that is going to be a big one to follow
0: yeah one other game I want to get your thoughts on quickly it has nothing to do with the Packers because it's two AFC teams in yeah. the Packers Uh, aren't necessarily involved here, but the 2-0 Baltimore Ravens, the 2-0 Kansas City Chiefs, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, really, really interesting matchup here. What do you think?
1: Real interesting matchup and two teams that do it completely different. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is going to throw for 5,000 yards again this year. Lamar Miller has proven he can throw, but their ground game is to be feared. Kansas City, the one question mark they had coming off of last season was their defense. Yes. They're going to be stressed in this game yep. against Mark Ingram and all those weapons that they have on the ground. It's going to be a fun one to watch. Unfortunately, you and I won't be able to. Right. But I have we'll to imagine. We'll just be
0: scoreboard watching online with that one. But we, I mean, we two saw of the ho- two of the hottest teams in the. We, NFL. Yeah, we saw Lamar Jackson in the preseason. The Packers are going to see Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in that offense uh, midseason this year in a, in a big Sunday night game. Down at Arrowhead, so this this is this is one of those that uh, got to make sure we catch the highlights, I guess, when we get a chance, right?
1: I'm just surprised they didn't put this on Sunday night for Monday night football, like off the bat with the schedule. I know there were some questions about Baltimore and what they were yeah. gonna look like last year, but I also think we saw enough to know that Lamar Jackson was for real. And
0: they they were a playoff team last and year, so this
1: is uh, again, it's one that I wish I wish I would be able to check out. But seeing how they do there, and if he can go tit for tat with the MVP. It's a big test.
0: Yeah, all right. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this combo edition of (laughs) Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of Sunday's big Week 3 matchup with the Broncos at Lambeau Field. We'll have all of it on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hodd. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.